0: Welcome to Aardvark Avarice. I am your host, Mel Brooks. Shalom. This podcast is brought to you by Sam and Chicken Palace, who guarantee you'll be thinking about their chicken days after leaving. And don't forget about Sam and Pizza, where the specially favorite is the big sloppy pie. So good, you'll burst. Before we begin, I just want to put on record that this is not a conspiracy. K-I-C-767-1081B Nicholas Cage is a vampire. I know, I know. We've heard this one before. Well, you're going to hear it again, because I wanted a way to talk about vampires that doesn't involve Dracula, whom I love, Underworld, also love, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yep, love that one too, True Blood, yep, like it, or The Count from Sesame Street. Aw, aw. Because that's so last decade, like Paris Hilton. Aw, aw. Back in 2011, a purveyor of antique photographs named Jack Mord presented a 140-year-old portrait of a man bearing a strong resemblance to Mr. Cage, and claimed it was proof that the prolific actor is a vampire. It is an interesting jump, don't you think? Mord could have gone in any direction. Medical freak of nature. Angel. Demon. Demigod. Lazarus. A djinn, ghoul, or golem. Heck, even the Honey Island Swamp Monster. There are so many mythological creatures you can look up on Wiki that would fit the bill. So, why settle for the most overused and misused legend in existence? It didn't even have to be a mythological creature. I think Nicolas Cage could easily be mistaken for a Westworld android. The Twilight series was at its height around that time. My guess is, Mord is really just a big fan of Robert Pattinson's Edward Cullen. I mean, who isn't? He's gorgeous, right? With that classic, bougie, Euro-trash vibe going on? He's like a vodka martini with a little stank. Don't even get me started on Robert Pattinson Batman. Jack Mord comes across as what I call a fangophile, since there is not an official term for a person totally jonesing for some vamp love. I can see him stalking Nicolas Cage's Vegas crib, waiting for him to begin sparkling in the sunlight while tending to his western red buds or walking his coon cat. Sorry, Mord. If anything, Nick Cage looks more deathly in the sunlight. No sparkles to be found, except when he puts on his clubbing threads. Jack Mort, of course, threw the photograph up on eBay, because what else are you going to do with visual proof of celebrity vampirism? He asked for the Dr. Evil low price of $1,000,000. With no takers, the price was later reduced, and then the listing was removed altogether. Too bad, so sad. The story garnered enough media attention that Nicolas Cage took it upon himself to ease everybody's fears and declare he is not a vampire. He does not drink blood, and he does have a reflection. But isn't that exactly what a vampire would say? Nobody is going to admit to being a creature of the night. Much like witchcraft, getting tagged as a bloodsucker hasn't historically gone over very well. There's the old stake through the heart, burning, drowning, teeth pulling, bits of steel shoved into various parts of the body, a little splash of boiling water. The German preference was decapitation and then burying the head behind the buttocks. Now, I have no evidence of this, but I'm betting this was a form of undead torture to have the vampire endure its own decomposed flatulence. We all know vampires have a heightened sense of smell. How about we give Mr. Mord the benefit of the doubt and take a closer look at Nicolas Cage. He never exactly had a rosy complexion, and, as mentioned before, natural light is not his friend. Cage also has no problem playing a vampire on film. Although, to be fair, he never had a problem playing any character on film. He played a baker with only one hand, an asthmatic mobster slash bodybuilder, and a chainsaw wielding lumberjack. He was an alien fighting samurai, which is not racist at all, and he also portrayed Fu Manchu, also not that racist. I guess. Cage played a crazed alcoholic, a crazed pill popper, and a crazed coke snorter. Let's also not forget, he took on the most risky, unnerving role of all. Himself. Which, in some ways, does feel a bit racist to me. Nicolas Cage is a self-proclaimed goth, and is open about his dealings in the macabre. He keeps a pet crow named Hoogan, once owned the LaLaurie Mansion in the New Orleans French Quarter, and bought the skull of a Tarbosaurus dinosaur, which in itself isn't that macabre, but it is eccentric and kind of cool. Although I, I wonder where he kept it. For some reason, I imagine it in his bathroom. I can see him in a big porcelain tub, taking a bubble bath, wearing the toupee and fake mustache from his deadfall character Eddie, ranting to the dino skull like a coked out madman. He's method that way. Okay, maybe Nicolas Cage doesn't scream Nosferatu. He comes across more like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. No, no, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Bean. Wait. No, I'm thinking of more crazy and silly, so that would be Mr. Hyde and Mr. Bean? But that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue and makes the reference to the Robert Louis Stevenson classic less clear. Okay, I got it. He comes across as the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Mr. Bean. Yeah, that works. Oh, Jack Mord. What were you thinking? Let's see what our entrepreneur hopeful has been up to in the past 10 years or so. He continues to run an antique photography business called the Thanatos Archive and seems to prefer using images of Jack Nicholson's character Jack Torrance from The Shining as his profile picture on social media. Eerie images, where Nicholson is well on his way to insanity. Maybe Mord thinks his own face is more suited for radio. He also co-collaborated on a photo book titled Beyond the Dark Veil, Postmortem and Morning Photography from the Thanatosk
1: Archive.
0: I'll give a read-through of the Amazon synopsis using a voice I think fits the tone, but undoubtedly stumbling over the more eclectic
1: wording. Beyond the Dark Veil. Postmortem and Mourning Photography from the Thanatos Archive is a compilation of more than 120 extraordinary and haunting photographs and related ephemera, documenting the practice of death and mourning photography in the Victorian era and early 20th century. Supplemented with original newspaper articles, clippings, funeral notices, memorial ephemera, and more, the collection will take us on a journey through a fascinating, moving, and melancholically beautiful part of our past. The images in Beyond the Dark Veil speak to us. They speak of love, loss, lives cut short, brave final hours, Shattered families and the depths of human spirit. The depths of human
0: spirit. The book is a bunch of old pictures of creepy dead people. Sometimes those creepy dead people are positioned and posed like they are still alive. Sometimes those creepy dead people are positioned and posed with other people around them. And you can play. Which one is the dead guy? Because in that time, everyone posed like they were dead. Let me warn you. If you are susceptible to nightmares from the morbid and disturbed, then pass on Beyond the Dark Veil and watch a Nicolas Cage movie instead. You'll be saner for it. Even Leaving Las Vegas or Bring Out the Dead or The Grizzly 8 Millimeter which took me a good decade to unsee. But then again, what else can you expect from a serious Joel Schumacher movie starring Nicolas Cage, Jacqueline Phoenix, James Gallofini, and Peter Stormare? The quartet of queasy boundary-pushing, yet still less messed up than Beyond the Veil. The worst death pictures in this book are of young children, posed on top of their mother's laps and dressed like porcelain dolls. Their mothers are decked all in black with long black veils. It looks like a Dementor photo shoot for soul-sucking friends weekly. Jack Mord is definitely a Slytherin. If the book isn't enough to sake your thirst for morbidity, then you can join the Thanatos Archive webpage for as little as $3 a month, and have access to the entire stock of grim photography. That's not to be confused with the Thanos Archive, which houses an extensive collection of photographs of people he snapped out of existence. Personally, I'd rather donate one of my gonads to science. On the topic of Morbid, Polish archaeologists found a skeleton of a female vampire. You see what I did there? I'm segueing from my bell ringer, Nicholas Cage is a vampire, to what I really want to talk about, a Polish vampire. My PR team, which is just me, decided that beginning the podcast with Nicolas Cage would be more likely to grab listeners than a story about archaeologists which are often thought of as boring and stuffy. Personally, I find that offensive to archaeologists. I try to avoid generalized stereotypes for that reason, but you know how PR people are. I swear, however, this Polish vampire is a pretty cool story. You see, they found the skeleton with a sickle placed over the neck. Not laid down flat, but with the blade to the throat, so that if the corpse awoke and tried to sit up, See? Cool, right? If you think I'm being a bit demented for my enthusiasm, well, I'm definitely not alone, because the discovery was covered by every news outlet you can think of, including the Twitter feed for India's weather channel, Not kidding. Look it up. The body was also buried with a triangular padlock on her toe. Now, I've watched every vampire movie under the sun. (laughs) So, I like to think of myself as a definitive expert because we all know how Hollywood is dedicated to factual history. But I have never heard of a padlock on the toe. The explanation by Professor Darius Polinski, head of the archaeological team, is that it symbolizes the closing of a stage and the impossibility of returning. He also theorized the sickle was placed over the throat so that if the vampire tried to rise from the dead, its head would be severed or severely injured. Alright, I know what you're thinking it really doesn't seem all that logical. Would a sickle across the throat really do enough damage to a vampire sitting up? Would it really cut off the head? To me, it would probably be no worse than a bad scrape from shaving before the vampire realized what was going on and just stopped sitting up. His explanation for the padlock also sounds like he wants to be an advisor on the next Twilight movie. Come on, Polinsky. Here's something the good professor didn't mention, and makes me wonder if he really is up to snuff with his vampire lore. Some cultures believe that during the transformation process into a vampire, there is a bloating of the body. The body would be pierced in the heart, mouth, or stomach with metal objects to deflate the vampire and prevent the complete transformation. The padlock around the toe, or even through the toe, could serve a similar function of preventing the transformation. A knife or sickle over the throat would easily cut enough to deflate a bloated corpse it would be like deflating a balloon. Which leaves me to ponder, does a punctured vampire body make the same balloon fart noise when the air rushes out? Not exactly the romanticized version of the Hollywood vampire. On a side note, which I rarely engage in, if you were interested in Hollywood and dead bodies with flatulence, check out Swiss Army Man with Daniel Radcliffe, who gives the best portrayal of a corpse since Terry Kaiser of Weekend at Bernie's. I do feel somewhat sad for the deceased woman suspected of vampirism. People with physical deformities were often accused of being a vampire or a demon, and the skull did have a protruding front tooth. What? A girl has a little snaggly tooth and now she's a vampire? Not exactly Victorian woke. Still, this type of discovery is exactly why I dreamed of being an archaeologist when I was a kid. That and Indiana Jones. You can imagine how revved up those dirt diggers were. Usually they're brushing away buckets of clay with a toothbrush in order to find a few pieces of a broken pot or a pubic bone from some undiscovered dinosaur. But these spade slappers uncovered a vampire. Now I can just picture them throwing their fedoras in the air, and snapping their whips in excitement. So that does it for this episode of Aardvark Avarice. Thank you for wasting your time with us. Once again, I would like to give thanks to our sponsor, Salmonella's Chicken Palace. Takeout is available. Feel free to call ahead for some chicken on the go for those who need to go. Until next time, I'm Don Ho saying, be safe, be kind, and enjoy the camera bear
1: Aloha.